This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello, and with me, Cam Ruslan, today we have the returns of. He is the man I consider to be the tech guru here on BFM. But, but uh, well, Matt, Matt Armitage, what do you do? I'm a consultant. Let's just leave it at that. You can, you can take that as nebulously as you like. That's like, <laughs> yeah, international man of mystery. And the other one is he is uh, ex- well, I guess once an advertising man, always an advertising man. And uh, <laughs> at Vernon Adrian Amon, what is it that you do? Oh, as little as possible. As little as possible. Yeah, thank you. He does a lot. He's an actor. <laughs> He's a Renaissance man. He does everything. Oh. And uh, our three topics this week are topic number one is quiet quitting. Topic number three is can we say we when we talk about the actions of our forebears? And finally, Topic number three is, are rituals important? So, uh, Matt, quiet quitting. Yeah, so this term quiet quitting has been in the media quite a lot over the uh, the last few weeks. And when I first heard it, I thought it related to a trend that I'd seen during the pandemic, which was this trend for uh, enterprising people to have more than one job. Uh, so they would be working remotely and they'd have two full-time jobs and get paid two salaries and kind of juggle them both and do neither of them really well, uh, but just wait until they were found out by one party or another and had that second salary taken away. So when I heard quiet quitting, I assumed that it was sort of a corollary to that trend in that you have two jobs. Uh, you've got a new job and you haven't told your old job that you're going to leave and you just wait for their HR to catch up with you and terminate you. But it turns out that that's not the case at all. Quiet quitting is simply a term for people who have decided that they are just going to do their job. They're no longer going to go above and beyond and do more things than their job description entails. They're simply going to do their job. But the reaction from a lot of the business media has been as though this is some kind of existential threat to the very fabric of capitalism. And by the process of doing your job, you're actually helping to wreck the company that you're working for. Um, so really, I, I wanted to, I mean, obviously this isn't a business show. I wanted to look at it more through the kind of cultural perspective because there does seem to be a strong link to Gen Z within this trend. But I, I kind of wanted to start by asking you guys, is it a terrible thing to not do more than you've been employed to do and to just do what you're being paid to do? Well, Vernon, you you have been a boss as well as an employee. What do you think? Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, um, but this is really interesting because it came in the wake of the pandemic, right? Um, and so what I think happened, if I may hazard a guess, is that people decided that, uh, you know, life being so fragile, why stretch out on a limb? Just keep to within your boundaries and don't stretch yourself and make sure that you have enough resources for the other parts of your life. I think so. I mean, like listening to how you described it, quiet quitting. Uh, does that mean that, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of like a weird term, right? To say that people are just going to be 
adequate. I mean, they're not really bailing out, but they're just going to keep within the tight frameworks of their role within the job and not um, assert uh, anything ambitious, right? Is that correct? Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty much correct, and I've I've seen a a, a few kind of um, hilarious uh, kind of cable news clips to to do with quiet quitting because of course you know cable news have, whether it's on the left or the right has this outrage cycle so quiet quitting <laughs> is one of those topics that they've kind of latched onto and uh, there was one clip with uh, Kevin O'Leary who's an uh, a US based entrepreneur. Uh, and uh, uh, he's uh, one of the the anchor entrepreneurs on the Shark Tank, the reality show in the the TV for for people looking for investment. And he came on air saying that, you know, this was possibly it, it, it was practically un-American to, well, ah. to to do this. But the but the irony is, Kevin O'Leary's Canadian. <laughs> and he's going on TV and accusing other people of being un-American and unpatriotic in their attitude towards work. Uh, COVID must have done something there. Yeah, well, I would like to raise that because you, you mentioned earlier about the, the cultural angle because mm. it, it might be that every cultural workspace is very different because, you know, America's notorious for having the fewest uh, paid holiday days. Yeah. And that there's an expectation in the American workplace that you stay in the office till till all hours because you've got to be seen to be there. Yeah, um, we have a notoriously bad work-life balance. Whereas in Malaysia, uh, it might be that the culture is um, of work can be quite different, and that uh, perhaps Malaysians, you know, have quietly quitted. Well, it's still built into the way. And I'm not saying, I'm really not saying that in a bad way. It's like you just, you know, a job is just a job. Whereas your real life, your family, et cetera, that's where your emotional time priority is. No, I I, I agree with you to, to a large extent there. Uh, I, I think what I find interesting about this is the kind of transition because the pandemic was actually the the kind of tipping point for seeing people from sort of Gen Z rather than Gen Y coming into the workplace. So we're seeing uh, those first college graduates from uh, Gen Z coming into the, the the workplace. Like, you know, the, the, the youngest millennials are now about 26. So we're seeing that kind of cultural shift. And there was very much that kind of hustle culture within the kind of millennial culture of, of uh, you know, looking to the next job, looking to the next group. And it was, it was a very kind of um, individually oriented kind of culture. And I wonder if there's more of a kind of collective spirit with this generation, because this is the first digital native generation. This is the generation that sees life as Groups of networks like social networks. The Gen yeah. Z generation yeah. or the yeah millennium? the Gen the Gen Z generation yeah. So so basically the quiet quitting is is uh, synonymous with the Gen Z. And then there was another phrase that they came up with, which was called the the Great Resignation, right? Yes. Where people yeah. were deciding they'd had enough of the uh, stereotypical kind of like occupation, and they were yeah. going to do it differently. So that led to what was known as the great resignation. So the, so this quiet quitting is only seen to be coming from Gen Z. Is that correct? And also if you stay in your job, yeah. you're quietly quitting. You're not resigning. 
Yeah, I mean, that's why it's a, a little bit confusing because the, the Great Resignation, a lot of economists have decided that the Great Resignation never really happened. Yes. It, 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 it was just people- back. Yeah, everything bounced back. And actually, there's more employment in a lot of sectors that there, than there was before the pandemic. So there are more people employed in those sectors uh, than were actually lost to, to attrition. Yep. With, with quiet quitting, there does seem to be a generational element. It's not wholly generational, but it does seem to be that kind of 20 to 30 age group. So it's that kind of tail end of the millennials and that first generation of uh, Gen Z who seem to be deciding that you know, we're not listening to our bosses tell us that if we work hard for the next three years, there'll be that great pay rise or that great promotion. They're taking their opportunities now. They're, uh, as Cam said, they're maybe doing things in a more Malaysian way. Um, in a more civil service just, kind of way, if you ask me. Yeah, you're, you're, you're just <laughs> clocking in. You're you're doing your job. I mean, the, there's a lovely um, TikTok that I saw a few months ago at the start of this trend where um, a young guy is being interviewed by his HR manager who's asking him why his performance has fallen. And he says to her, well, actually, my performance hasn't fallen. What I was doing before was more than you pay me to do. Now, because ah. I haven't had the pay rises you offered me, I haven't had the promotions that were dangled in front of me, I'm not doing that anymore. So my performance hasn't declined. I'm simply doing my job. Mm. Okay. All right. Well, well um, so this is the, what the death of ambition. I mean, the antithesis. No, but to, no, we, uh, what was it? Because, 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 Vernon, the ambition can be put somewhere else. Yes. Yes. yes absolutely. Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. And you use the job to pay for that something else. Mm. Um, so, uh, well, that's that. That topic is called quietly Malaysian, and uh, <laughs> I think it'll take off, Matt. I think around the world. <laughs> I, I, I think we might have started it. Yeah, yeah, I I think it's a fabulous development, personally. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just want to point out the three of us are freelancers, so we greatly res greatly resigned and quietly quitted quite a while ago. Yes. Um, so uh, we if, if we ever entered in the first place, exactly. So we move on though to topic number two, which is can we say we in inverted commas uh, when we talk about our forebears? Now the three of us, um, <clears throat> Matt is English, and he might well be English since the beginning of time. We'll probably find out in a minute. Um, <clears throat> me, I'm 50-50. I'm half British, half Malay. And so that's... Hello, that, hello. Yeah, that's me. Vernon, on the other hand, who knows, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, a real mutz here. <laughs> yeah. So when the three of us uh, look back on the past and we look back uh, at uh, national or racial or... Uh, cultural achievements, um, we might have difficulty saying we. But let us uh, let me just put words into Matt's mouth. In England, then, a lot of people could say we won the war. Yeah, And, and I can watch uh, historical documentaries, and I can't abide it when the person who's introducing it, and he's talking about the war, and he will say, and then we did this. You know, we sent our, our spitfires, went and did that. And I'm mm. thinking, no, you didn't. You didn't do anything. <laughs> you weren't even born. Yeah. Um, and it really muddies the water in terms of how you can yeah. assess the past. Yeah. Because if you take the good, you've got to take the bad. And people don't do that. <laughs> they only take the good. And uh, But it's, it's difficult for someone like me to look back on history because mm. go back to before I was born and something like me, a 50-50 like that, just simply wouldn't have existed. 
and would have been shunned by all society. And I, and I can't read history and see me in it. And I don't know about Vernon, but it, it would be quite difficult. Or maybe you could. Maybe you could say if it's or if it's Portuguese or it's French or it's it's uh, Indian Chinese. or some description or whatever. Yeah, it's like, yeah. oh, there's yeah. me and that's us. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna start with you, Matt, because uh, you might be a pedigree <laughs> amongst us. <laughs> uh, and and also, you know, with English history, like you know, it's well documented. It goes back a long time. Yeah. And how do you feel about that? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess it's a little bit different for me because I've been living outside of the UK for so long. So I tend not to use we when I talk about sort of Britishness because I've had that distance from it for so long. So I don't have that same maybe sense of belonging that I would have had 20 years ago when I first came to Malaysia. I think I would probably be more likely to say we when I talked about British history then, but now I will make a conscious decision, a conscious effort to qualify it with, with Britain to contextualize it for, for people. Because a lot of people also, uh, especially if I don't know them that well, they don't necessarily know that I'm British. They just know that I'm not Malaysian. So they're not sure if I'm if I'm Australian or if I'm Canadian or whatever else. Because all white people look the same. We do. Yeah, we all know each other <laughs> as well. Um, but um, but yeah, so I, I've kind of I've come to that kind of uh, it's methodology. A learnt, it's a learned learn, Yeah, it's a learned reflex. It's yeah, not can a, I ask an, you a something? natural one. Yeah. Okay, so like Liz Truss became the prime minister um, of the country where you come from. Um, did you in, at any point in time say our prime minister? Well, that's an interesting one for two reasons. One, because she's actually the constituency MP where my mum lives, where oh I grew God. up. So, um, and when I was back in June, I walked past her constituency house because it's opposite where I lived as a child. So, wow. Yeah. So, um, I mean, obviously she wasn't there at the time. There was no security. There was nothing there. It's just, an, you know, an empty house next to a school playing so, field. But, but, but it does make me one one degree separation from the prime minister of that, the UK. No, a lot more degrees, actually. Yeah, Vernon. quite, quite, just quite a lot of degrees. Just quite a guy who walked past a building. <laughs> a building, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I... But I want to I, claim it like identity. I yeah, think I mean, I, it, right? I moved yeah. out of that house in 1980. So, you know, yeah. it's been... It's, been a while. Um, yeah. But I just kind of walked past there out of interest. But also, um, as a British citizen, you lose your right to vote after a number of years of being outside oh. the country. So I don't think of her as my prime minister because I don't have a vote. Mm. So, you know, that whole yeah, that, no taxation without representation. Well, no, but you see, I don't I don't think yeah. of it in those terms yeah, because yeah. I don't participate in, yeah. in British elections. Okay. So I don't make that connection with any politicians in the UK anymore. No, absolutely. But but yeah. then uh, on, on a, a different scale, though, um, mm. well, I'm going to jump, jump to Vernon because it becomes murky there. Can you imagine yourself and your Malaysian? So you can you could take, if the Malaysian football team achieves something, I don't know if you're interested in football, and could you bring yourself to say we? Who, me? Yeah. Would I say we? Of course I would say we. Would you? Because um, I don't. Yes. I don't. Oh, as a okay. Fo- as a, fo- a fan of football and a fan of sports in general. And then I think your, lo- your loyalty is in question. I mean, I, I really think that you should be called in for. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a case of loyalty. <laughs> for me, it's not a case of loyalty. I think I try, I try to be consistent because 
they, the players, they did that. That's their achievement. And, ah. and so I, I can't say we because I'm just leeching off them. I'm a parasite oh, of I, their I, I'm achievement. I'm an opportunist. I'm an opportunist. So like I will say I'm one degree separation from the prime minister of uh, <laughs> you know, the UK. I, I'm an opportunist. And I think that's what it is. I mean, like it's what you are. What is your choice of identity? It's, and it's situational. I mean, like I would not in any, for any stretch of the imagination, say we, if we refer to France, even though I have French ancestry or Portuguese ancestry or Chinese ancestry, because uh, I have chosen to be, identify as Malaysian. You know, and I think it is a choice of identity. So therefore, how far back can you you see yourself? Because Matt could conceivably see himself back hundreds of years. Um, if you, if well, you know I, I, mean. I, I know my lineage all the way back to the Vikings because oh, of church records and stuff. No, I'm not. Vikings? I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, to the Vikings. What? Yeah, because <laughs> because because us Sarani people were Catholics and, we, and, and there were church documents and I have Budville in my ancestry. And that's a French, and that's a French uh, surname, which goes to the, the 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 county of Bordeaux or whatever it is, which was was actually peopled by Vikings. Um, yeah, okay. so that's kind of like proven. So yeah, you can see it in how I eat my meat. You know. Okay. All right, that, um, uh, Matt. Um, how how far back? I mean, your your family, as you were telling us before, is quite mixed up as well. It, I mean, it's very mixed up. My my parents are both from Merseyside, so they're you Ooh, know, Liverpool. predominantly, yeah, uh, predominantly sort of Celtic Beatles. roots. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, I mean, my family name Armitage is common in Yorkshire. It's from French origins as well. It's from Hermitage. So it has oh, we Norman, might be cousins. We could yeah. be cousins. Yeah. So it has <laughs> yeah. Norman French origins. But having said that, um, a lot of my dad's family was Scottish. So I know that um, my great great grandfather had a, a fleet of uh, trawlers in Scotland, uh, which he was an alcoholic and he drank his way through those. Um, my paternal grandfather, I think, had Welsh roots. My wow. um, my maternal grandmother had Irish oh, roots, and her 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 family uh, her family uh, also detoured via. Canada uh, at the turn of the 20th century. So it was kind of Ireland, Canada, back to uh, back to Liverpool. Yeah. But their family name, Hansard, is thought to have Germanic roots from the Hanseatic Trading League mm -hmm. um, that was prevalent in, I think, the 16th and 17th century. So I really don't know. So it's kind of all over the place. Yeah, the the only you... thing we're not sure about is whether I have any English ancestry, <laughs> despite being, you know, very English. Yeah. Well, uh, you are so mixed up that uh, Vernon could claim you as Sarani any second now. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say <laughs> he's, as, he's as much a much as I am, which is great. So welcome yeah. to the Sarani okay. family. Thank yeah. you. It's bound to happen. <laughs> uh, um, okay, so I'll just conclude by saying so. Then two two of us, me and Matt, are reluctant to say we when yes. describing events of us. Whereas Vern, on the other hand, is more than enthusiastic to be able to include anybody's um, past. Any of my, yeah. If, if, even if it's just somebody you know walked past a building and then suddenly you're connected to the Prime Minister of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. So, on, no, on... I, no, I just want to say that, uh, <laughs> that it's, 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 the, it's the choice of identity that you want to own, mm. um, which really then makes it. So it's a choice. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it determines then, therefore, 
what you're comfortable saying about yourself. It's a choice. Yeah, you know? Matt, yeah, it's, it's a choice. choice. I'd it's agree choice. with that. Yeah. And I've kind of made a choice all about not it. to be British. Wow. Okay. So in a moment, we shall come up with topic number three, which is our rituals important here on A Bit of Culture, BFM 89.9. And we're back with myself, Cam Ruslan, Vernon Adrian Among, and Matt Armitage. Now, Vernon, are rituals important? Oh, yes. That's my topic for this week. Uh, yeah. And it came up because I was watching a recording of the funeral of the, um, the late, great uh, Elizabeth II. And uh, it was the, the, the recording was one hour long and it had a lot of hymns. It had a lot of marching around. And it made me think about like, uh, wow, the whole world has stopped. Um, and in solidarity, are watching this and are being moved by it. And what is it about rituals that makes it such a central element of life? Um, yeah, so I thought we could talk about that. Um, mm. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was really interesting that uh, it made me think about stuff that we do together, you know, like karaoke. Um, is that a ritual? It's, it's always, well, it's not a ritual, but it can be a ritual if you keep doing it weekly, you know, or every Wednesday or whatever, you know. Um, mm. but, but doing things together, do rituals keep us together? I guess it offers a sense of community. But and in the case if it of the, does, in the case of the, mm-hmm. the, the funeral though, you were not a participant in that ritual. You were on an observer. No, but we've already we've already shown that Vernon by knowing someone there is participating. <laughs> <laughs> yes, vicariously. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. with so may, so maybe I'm a little bit more sensitive or susceptible to whatever it is that ritual does. Mm. And is it that it makes us feel, give us a sense of belonging that, you know, there is, there is, there is this sense of belonging gives us meaning, um, you know, makes us, comforts us, assures yeah. well, us. I, I, I certainly, I absolutely believe so. But I would say one thing about the, the funeral with, with the British. The British have always been geniuses at this kind of thing. And a lot of the, the supposed ritual is quite hokey. It's quite modern. Uh, but they know how to sort of like fluff it up and make it seem ancient. And it's one of the reasons why the British Empire was so successful and lasted so long was the, were these ceremonies that people they, found absolutely awe-inspiring and convincing. Yeah, and and enthralling and, and uh, enthralling. draws you in and it and, feels but, that you're part of it. Exactly, yeah, this, exactly, mm. Vernon, because the in the French empires, say, it was exclusive. The, the, the rituals that they would put on would be, this is our French thing. And you are not participating in this. Mm. Whereas when the British did theirs, be it in India or, or here, it, it was, as you say, it was inclusive. It was sold as being inclusive. This is also your ceremony. I was just going to add, and I've, I think also that the British codified a lot of the rituals as well. I mean, if you look at um, Malaysia, Australia, a lot of you know former British colonies those rituals are still baked into their legal systems. The the way that Absolutely, people yeah. a, appear when they're in high court, for example, the the procedures that justices go through. So there are still a lot of these rituals baked into the legal systems of the independent former colonies. And uh, while I was, or just before I saw the funeral, I was basically you know surfing on the nets looking for stuff uh, that I'm interested in, which is one of which is interculturality. And there was one book I came across called The Pragmeme of Accommodation, 
basically talking about what society does uh, during grief and bereavement. Yeah. And prag memes are those gestures and conventions that we slide into um, uh, usually unconsciously. So like in a, in a, at a funeral or a wake, right? We all know how we should behave. Hmm. And that's a prag meme, right? And this is a prag meme accommodation because you're accommodating the bereavement and the sense of loss of the people related to the person who's died. So like, like with Queen Elizabeth and what ha what's happened to her, the, basically the prag meme became global, you know? And uh, of course there was some resistance to, to the mourning and stuff like that, but it was global. And then there was all this ritual going on. And I thought like, whoa, um, yeah. Is it something that's connecting us all? So we feel like part of a global community and yeah, the Commonwealth. I mean, like, um, as, as, as you mentioned, I mean, like, uh, who was it? Uh, either either uh, uh, Matt or Matt or what's your name again? Uh, Cam. Uh, Cam. Uh, Cam. <laughs> Mr. Amon. Had <laughs> said about, about the codifying of, of you know, ritual in, yeah. in, in the British Empire. I, I think that's, yeah, interesting. So, so like maybe to bring Malaysia together, maybe we should be actually doing DK Barat together in school. You know, well, yeah, well, Dikir Barra is fun. It's not, it's yeah. not got that solemnity, uh, which is what you were. I mean, you, no, not could, necessarily. I, I, mm. I, I think that that is necessary. I think that it makes you feel like this is a, a grander, more important. It, it actually, what you're stumbling on here, or what you, what you have inadvertently stumbled on here, Mister Among, is the difference between Freud and, and Jung, Carl Jung. Ooh, uh, Jung believed very much that these kind of rituals, these uh, ritual communal rituals, are 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 very important, and um, that we're not just individuals in a vacuum, and that our dreams say can be analysed and, and be a key to understanding. That we need to know that the cultural context that we live in, right? Because we respond, we respond to these things, we yearn for them. Um, we can also reject them. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Matt, yeah, if you're critical because, enough, then you can. Well, what I want to ask Matt, because Matt, I mean, you know, death of Queen Elizabeth, you and I grew up in England, and she was like everywhere. <laughs> Are you, were you as moved as uh, Vernon? He's no, wearing not. black. What do you think? Yeah. He's wearing um, black. Gen genuinely nothing. I've not, I've not read anything about it, really. I've not looked at anything about it. It's, it's not something that's particularly of interest to me. And I think it kind of, goes back to the previous topic as well. I would never have, have described Elizabeth as my queen. She's the British queen, but I've never considered her to be my queen because my views don't necessarily gel with Yeah, but people never really went around structure. saying my queen. Um, no, no, but I never thought of her as being, you know, I never th I've never thought of myself as being a subject of the, the queen. Were, you, were yeah. you sad when you heard she died? I was sad in the sense of hearing that anyone dies, but I wasn't any more sad than I would be, you know, hearing about, <laughs> yeah, you know, okay. Mrs. Smith who, who fell over yeah. in her kitchen. Um, I think the, the biggest issue for me would be that um, she was probably a better monarch than the monarch that's about to be crowned. Oh, for sure. Um, so that, that was, that was the only real um thing that that sort of occurred to me but um you know it, it but it, it is interesting i think the the kind of the overreaction that there's been in britain to all of the things that were supposed to stop 
during the the time of the funeral. I've, I think the the famous one that's been um, trotted out a lot is a, a cycling association in the UK that announced that nobody should bicycle anywhere during think, the yeah, hours of the funeral. There were, yeah. there were actual uh, bicycle lanes that were closed. Wow. Yes, um, and, yeah. and bicycle parking and and that yeah. kind of thing. But this Crazy. was kind of the 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 body that heads up British cycling. And of course, mm. you know, there's an outcry about that because people are saying, oh, so you want me to memorialize the Queen by getting in a car instead of getting on a bicycle? Yeah. Um, you know, so the, the, right, it's, yeah. it's kind of in, it's interesting the way that it's, yeah, the, well, there's been an overreaction as well. well I, I want to just mention one thing, which I think could be an illustrative, uh, a, a different funeral, um, but also a British one. When um, Princess of Wales Lady Diana died, I watched that funeral. That's back in 1990-something. Um, I watched that. And as I was watching it, I realized I had not attended the funeral of my own father. I realized that she was actually about the same age as my father when he died. Mm. I realized that her children were the same age I was when my father mm -hmm. died. Mm -hmm. And then I became incredibly moved by it all. And in a way, that funeral that I was watching became the funeral of my father that I had not attended. Wow. And that I'd, I'd never realized that I'd not attended. Yeah. And, and so the public ceremony served a completely different private uh, yeah. 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 Not need, that, but that had not yet known that it was a need. And that it should be Lady Diana of all people. Um, I mean, when John That's, Lennon died, at, and he was exactly the same age as my father when he died, I was very upset. But I, I don't. Well, John Lennon hadn't had that kind of funeral. I think I would have. I would have been. I would have been moved if I'd had the yeah. ceremony. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I believe very much in ceremonies, but but not for everyone, as we've found out. You know, for Matt, it should be working for Matt, but it hasn't. Whereas our Malaysian well, friend over here is like uh, Royal Britannia. Well, yeah. <laughs> oh, me? But, no, but I'm not. I'm not a monarchist, but I, I uh, revel in the uh, dramas. You know, um, yeah. I don't. I don't think they are. They are untouchables as such. I don't think mm -hmm. they are way above. You know, supreme human beings and uh, stuff like that. But yeah, what what I found really interesting is, uh, yeah, how we were able to accommodate uh, in this moment of grief and bereavement, uh, most of us, you know, took to it, like yeah. as though we needed it yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. to get and, over a sense of loss. Yeah. And also I, I would just add that yeah, as a Malaysian, uh, the, 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 those British type rituals, as Matt pointed out earlier, are very recognizable, even if you mm. don't understand them fully. Yeah. The, the, the speed of the step even is, yeah, you yeah. know, it, it's all, it's all recognizable and of a pace. Anyway, mm. we must conclude there, Vernon. Uh, okay. My condolences. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm sorry for your loss. <laughs> yes. And uh, we move on to the final part of the show, recommendations, where we recommend something that we think might be of interest. And Matt Armitage goes first. Yeah, I'm recommending a book. I think I usually recommend a book when I come on this show. Um, I'm recommending James Acaster's Guide to Quitting Social Media, which is written, of course, Ooh. by the comedian James Acaster. Now, th there are lots of these celebrity-type books, uh, you know, uh, how to, to live your life. And this is kind of an antidote to that because 
James Acaster did decide to quit social media, but his guide to social, quitting social media is really just a kind of Monty Python-esque flight of fancy um, that just sort of wanders off into all of these surreal <laughs> areas where he switches off from social media, but recreates fictionally all of those social media networks in the real world. So he starts to put together little community groups and they decide they want to have a viral campaign. So they go out and put leaflets through everybody's letterbox. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just, it's just Irony. nice yeah. and gentle and <laughs> silly. And it really is the, the, as I said, it's kind of the, the antidote to all of those celebrity how-to books. Okay. Interesting. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, once again, what is it? It's James Acaster's Guide to Quitting Social Media by, of course, James, James Acaster. Acaster. Yeah. I, I don't know James Acaster. You say, you say like he's a, he's a British comedian. He's one of the stadium level comedians in sort of UK. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, okay. So, uh, Vernon, what's your recommendation? Uh, my recommendation is to um, look out for the uh, video podcasts of the recently concluded Freedom Film Festival, um, which was held at the PJ Live Arts Center. The festival featured videos by young indigenous girls and women. It also featured one particular piece of film, short film called Jiwa Pandidik by Rama Puat, who is uh, on rotation here. Um, and it was a wonderful, wonderful documentary of her mother as a teacher, as a near retirement teacher, um, having to face the pandemic and suddenly having to actually learn um, remote, you know, online teaching. And then realizing that half her students, in fact, more than half her students, were from the B40 um economic group and therefore would not have broadband or computers. So she ends up actually delivering worksheets, mm, you know, wow. uh, personally to her. It was very moving and touching and, and, and um, uh, Rama did a, a fantastic job. We can, we can see that. We can watch the documentary I, I online. I think the documentaries should be online by now because uh, it's already been shown at the Freedom Film Fest. But if it isn't, Find out about it and see where it screens um, that particular documentary as well as all the others. I, I think it should be online by now once they, they've launched it at the Freedom Film Fest. Yeah. Because right. Rahma Fauzi of this show is fantastic. Yeah. Yes, and, she is. And, Enjoy her work. Yeah. So I can imagine it'd be great. She's spoken about her mother. Uh, oh, it's, it's you, you. I mean, I was, I was moved almost to tears uh, at what uh, these middle aged teachers in government schools had to deal with and uh, the courage and the the attitude that they had you know mm. it was quite quite moving so yeah, once again uh, what, what, what the, the, the film is called jiwa pandidik soul of an educator jiwa pandidik and uh well basically maybe google freedom film fest 2021 um to get information on all the other films but mm. uh yeah that was a standout for me and uh, there was another one about uh about um, a bipolar schizophrenic illustrator, um, wow. a documentary done on her life story. Um, I can't remember the name of the movie, but that was also quite stunning. But uh, it was uh, it was quite a weekend. 
quite a fantastic weekend. So I want to give kudos to um, the Freedom Film Fest crew, which is Anna Ha and Brenda Danka, led by the, these two amazing women. Oh, so great. Okay. Yeah, chuck us uh, to them. Yeah, because Vernon goes to every performance, festival, <laughs> gathering. I'm a, I'm a lonely man. He'll, he'll be there. <laughs> and if you see him, do, do go up and say hello to him. Um, <laughs> so, okay, so that sounds great. And uh, so my recommendation is a podcast, and it is called Empire. And it's about Ooh. empire. Well, it's about British Empire. Although they say it's going to be about other empires as well. Um, it's uh, hosted by an author called William Dalyrimple, who is ah, one of the famous, yeah, the famous, oh, okay. yeah, uh, the one of the historians, popular historians of mm-hmm. um, the British Empire in India, and and also by Anita Anand, who I don't know Anita Anand, but she appears to be quite a historian too. Um, right, and so she would give the uh, she would give the perspective from the. Uh... Well, no, they both are. They both are giving <clears throat> because, um, right? You know, Empire British Empire is very contentious. It's very a lot of people have very frozen views on it, and and it usually breaks down to to uh, sort of a for and against, good thing, bad yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's good about this uh, podcast is that you have people who don't fall into that trap, but people who know their stuff. So William mm-hmm. Dalyrimple, who actually I think pronounces his name Darlimple, sounds a bit more Indian the way he pronounces it. Uh, <laughs> he, he's from a family with long Indian connections, <clears throat> so he's not rah rah empire, mm-hmm. and uh, but at the same time, you know, he it's not necessary for him to say uh, that it's either a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah. It's just it's mm-hmm. just a thing that happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. the that's, and then unpack it. Yeah, and then unpack it exactly yeah, objectively. Yeah, and then and but they do then bring when they're talking about say the East India Company or they're talking about Gandhi, they are bringing it to uh, contemporary Indian interpretations of these events and mm-hmm. how the British say and the Indian interpretations diverge so radically. Mm. Um, so you're not you're not getting just one or the other, but that doesn't mean it's balanced. It's just it's just. Yeah. It's just the way it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And and so and William Dalrymple is, um, he's yeah, really famous popular, mm. uh, popular historian, and um, and he's he's very well respected as um, it, within India as a historian of British India. He's not seen as being oh he's you know he's one of those um, redhead foreign devils or, or whatever it is Indians call. Um, <laughs> So um, <laughs> it's it and it's very it's very good. It's really um, it, it's it's good. So it's called it's an uh, it's, and it's huge actually. My God, it only started a short while ago and it's already like the, the numbers for downloads have gone. Where where is it? Where is it? Netflix is it? Uh, a podcast podcast. It's a oh, it's a podcast. So oh, yeah. look for Empire. Your, yeah, it's just called Plain Old Empire. And um, okay, on Spotify. Yeah, so it's just two of them talking. But when they were, for instance, talking about Gandhi, they they brought in um, a, a Indian historian to talk about uh, Gandhi, but also to talk about the contemporary Modi interpretation of right Gandhi and mm-hmm. how Gandhi is, <clears throat> you know, uh, f- famous and beloved outside of India now, but but whereas inside India, certainly for political purposes. Um, He's uh, not so much. In fact, Chandra Bose of the Indian National Army is now seen mm. as being the hero figure. Really? Independence. Yeah. 
So uh, do listen to it. It's, it's really good. Empire. Um, on your, your local you yeah. uh, podcast providing station. I've so had added it already. Oh, oh. <laughs> Another two from Malaysia. So, uh, well, uh, only remains for me now to thank uh, special guests, um, Matt Armitage. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Uh, pleasure to have you here. And uh, Vernon Adrian Among. I'm not special, is it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> How can I get that special badge? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, he's so sensitive. It's my lineage. <laughs> yeah. It's my lineage. No. <laughs> Vernon, you are. You are special. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and uh, myself, Cam Russler, not special. And please join us next week for another exciting episode of A Bit of Culture here on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.